in the NBA, many players fall out of the memory of NBA fans based off how good they really were. The average NBA career is 4.5 years. Playing 10 to 15 years in the NBA is definitely rare and shows that you could be a valuable asset for a team if you're wanted. Raymond Felton, who spent 14 years in the NBA and who'll join me here on episode 45 of Inside Buzz, had a knack for shooting and was a consistent floor general for 14 years like I mentioned and had 7 teams wanting his service through his career. He got to the NBA in 2005 and from 2005 to 2013 with Charlotte, New York, Denver, and Portland, Felton averaged 13.6 points per game and 7.7 assists per game as a starter, including being the floor general for a few very good Knicks teams in the early 2010s. After that, he had a stop in Dallas and also a stop with the Los Angeles Clippers, and for his last two NBA seasons, he was Russell Westbrook's MVP Russell Westbrook's backup point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Today, in 2023, Felton runs the Felton Skills Academy and an AAU team called Felton Elite, where he trains young Coopers into future stars and gives them all the knowledge he learned over 14 NBA seasons. All right, Raymond, I appreciate you being here for episode 45 of Inside Buzz. It was great to connect on Instagram and to get this all set up. So welcome to, to Inside Buzz. Oh, my man, man. Me too. Happy you have me on, man. Of course. And tell me to start about Felton Skills Academy, your AAU team, and how you got into that after your NBA career. Oh, just really trying to figure out what I wanted to do once I retired. Um, I didn't really want to leave the game like that, so I tried to find a, a different avenue to, to stick around and, you know, try to give back, in a sense, to the youth. So I decided to start, you know, start my own AAU program and then um, start the, um, a training a training academy as well, to get in the gym as much as I can to help out kids, you know, take them through some skill work, but at the same time, taking through some life, some life skill stuff as well. And in your career, you're coached by a few, few legendary coaches, just to name a few: Roy Williams, Larry Brown, George Carl, Rick Carlisle, D'Antoni, Doc Rivers. Now, what's something you learned from those guys or any other coach in your career that you pass through to the kids today? You know, just a just a passion, the passion that those guys had for the game about really just teaching the game, you know, you know, LB was one of those coaches who he stayed on the court at all times. Rick Carlisle, he stayed on the court at all times. Like he wanted to teach. He wanted to be out there. He wanted his voice to be heard. So that's the kind of way I am. <clears throat> I like to really teach. I like to really express, you know, the things that I'm that I'm that I'm teaching, my point that I'm trying to get across, you know, in that beginning, in that particular session. So, you know, Doc Rivers the same way. I mean, like you said, I played I played for some great coaches. Coach Williams is the same way. Like just learning from them and then, you know, being able to implement some of those things now as as I'm older, now that I'm not playing no more. It's just it's kind of funny to see sometimes because I do some of the things that they they that that they used to do to me. And it's funny. <laughs> and I'm sure some of the things that they used to do that would piss you off, you now do to your kids, I'm sure. I don't know, 100%. They get mad. <laughs> they get mad all the time, but they'd be all right. I'm trying to make them better. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure that's what they told you. And, you know, right now in the new basketball world of AAU, youth basketball, it's a little bit of a touchy subject because of social media, ball is life, mixtapes, and all of that. Now, Austin Rivers recently said, Highlight culture and everyone having a mixtape has killed the game of basketball because all kids see is the mixtape. 
they don't see the beauty of the game, the nuances of the game. What do you think of all that being in youth basketball today? It's a lot, you know, to see, you know, just any kid, every kid can have a mixtape. If you had a mixtape, you was back in the day, you was good. Like you was, you, you was a kid who had a chance to play in the NBA. And, you know, people knew that at, at in high school, you know, saying they just they knew you was that good. Now any kid can get, you know, a mixtape, you know, it doesn't matter. And, you know, everybody all and everybody knows all mixtapes look good. You know, mixtapes going to show the bad stuff that you did in the game. And, you know, I, I think sometimes that takes away and sometimes it, it 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 gives some of these kids a false, you know, conversation of who they really are. You know, when you're showing kids mixtapes of just all the good stuff they do, but are you showing them the bad stuff they do too, you know? And it's okay to have a mixtape. It's okay to make a kid feel good and show them, show them some good stuff. You know, you know I'm, I'm all about that. But at the same time, as you do that, are you showing them the mistakes that they made as well? Because if you're not, then you're not making this kid better, you know? So, you know, that's, that's my issue with it. But, you know, other than it just not happening, the game is changing. There's so many things that goes on now that I don't know. I don't totally agree with in the game, but the game is evolving. You know, it's going to continue to evolve. So, so you have to you have to evolve with it. You know, yourself. Just the, the game is evolving, and we have to evolve with the game as coaches, as players, as former players. Like you know, I see a lot of stuff with with, with older guys uh, commentating and stuff like that. And they just, you know, you know, don't like what they see in the game. But the game is different. You know, when I came in the league, the game was different. And before I left out the league, the game was totally different. You know, I came in an era, you know, where it was totally different in 2005. And by 2018, when I left out, <laughs> the game has changed. So, you know, it's just, that's just how, the, that's how it goes, man. And, and that's just what it is. That's the world we live in. If you want a kid to be a good high school player, they have a good high school career. Then they get to college. Hopefully they have a good college career. Make the NBA, even pro overseas. Right. Is that kid, is it all about the skill? Is it the hard work? You know that quote, um, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. What's like the percentage of both of those going into each other? You got a kid that's extremely talented and he puts in the work. The sky's the limit for him. Sky's the limit. But I've seen a lot of talented kids just know they're good but don't want to put in the work. And then the kids who are not as talented put in the work, surpass them at some point, you know. And I see that all the time in the game of basketball. And you you don't have that. You don't have kids who just naturally just talented, got the skill, but don't want to put in the time, don't don't really love the game as much. They just do it because they, they, they're good at it and they're talented. But then you got some kids who don't have the natural raw talent, the God-given gift, but they have the gift of grind and work. They know how to do that. They know how to get in the gym and work and get better and have something to prove that those kids are most of the kids who end up on top and who, who last for a, while, for a very long time. So you have to put in the work, man. You have to grind. You have to get better. And when you get into NBA, once you get to that level, what these young kids don't understand is that you have to get better every year because if you don't you know it's a thousand plus new kids trying to get in <laughs> every year so if you don't bring it if you don't bring something new to the game or new to your team or new to yourself as a player you know you can easily get lost in the shuffle and get pushed out and somebody else gonna fill your spot so 
you know, you have to continue to work all the time. I don't care how good you are. And that, that was the next question kind of story I was leading into. That's how we connected on Instagram. You were, uh, you know, on video talking to your kids, maybe at a camp after a game, whatever it was, posted that on NBA Buzz. Your quote about, you know, multiply all those kids in the gym by 100. That's like you said, how many are coming into the NBA. Now, you, you know, you were a top five pick in 2005, NCAA champion. Did you feel that every year? Like you had to keep your spot, even though you had, you know, you had some baggage to you where I'm an NBA, I'm an NCAA champion. I'm a top five pick. Did you still feel that? It's not about really feeling it because, you know, I, I know the body of work that I put in. I know the time that I put in the gym in the summertime to get ready for the season and just who I was as a player. So I never really worried about it. But at the same time, you got to deal with the facts of, you know, oh, shoot, you know, they just they just drafted another point guard. What does that mean? You know, they just got another point guard in free agency. What does that mean? You know, it can mean that, okay, if you mess up, you got somebody else to fill your spot. Or it can mean that, okay, we got another point guard for you just in case something happens, you get hurt or whatever. You can take it so many ways, you know, but, you know, one thing I never did, I try to, I try not to think of it in a negative way because I understood early on that it's a business. You know, I know, I know how, to, how it goes. And I just, you know, made sure I did what I had to do to make sure I was going to continue to, to be on the court and playing. I can't worry about the next man, you know, and I can't be mad at this guy. You know, this is my teammate now. So I got to do what I can to help him and make him better because, you know, that's going to make us better. So I was never one of those selfish guys who was like, oh, forget him. that He, he played my same position. Nah, man, you can't be like that. You can't be like that. And I think some of the things like that, being professional in that way kind of helped me play as many years as I did. In all those years, 14 in the NBA. Now, you're on social media. You see how toxic it, it could be, NBA social media. There's idiots out there who will call you trash and forget about you because you were never an all-star. You were never a 20-point scorer. But what you were, you're a consistent point guard who averaged like 14 and 7 over 14 years. What do you have to say about those people who will say, you know, talk that smack to you on social media how not everybody's going to be Michael Jordan, LeBron James, top 75. So you being a great player for 14 years, what do you have to tell those people? Who cares what you say? <laughs> what you say, don't don't make me what you say. Don't don't pay my bills. What you say, don't do nothing to me at all. No, <laughs> I don't care what you think. I played 14 years in the league and I tell them, what did you do? What, what was your basketball career? What did you do? Where did you play at? You know, and stuff like that, I don't even get into because why waste my time? You know, as long as I got my respect for my peers, I can care less what somebody's saying about me on social media. The guys who played against, played against me, my peers know that I was a, I was a guard that, that was going to bring it every night when they stepped on the court against me. They knew they had to bring it when they played against me. You know, and that's all I care about. As long as my peers know that I was a dog, you know what I'm saying, and I was going to get it. After it, every time I stepped on that, that's all I care about. As far as other people talking about, oh, you trash, you this and that. I mean, if I'm trash and I play 14 years, then I guess I'm trash. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I guess I'm trash. That, that's some good trash. I would love to be that good trash. Um, <laughs> you know, you you get to the NBA, your Tar Heels teammate, Sean May is with you in Charlotte, Marvin Williams in Atlanta, McCants in Minnesota. You know, those, those are like, it's like a brotherhood when you win a championship and even just being in college with them you just you know get that respect as a brotherhood what was it like getting to the nba and everybody's splitting paths 
I think of R.J. Barrett, Zion, and Cam Reddish in recent years. All just, you know, you see each other in the league, I guess. Um, yeah, no question, man. You know, we all happy for each other because, you know, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, you're in college, you're playing for something very special, and we got an opportunity to 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 do that and succeed at it. You know, we got a chance to win the championship, all of us together. And then on top of that, the beauty of that, you know, you win a championship in college and then turn around and you all go to the draft together and get drafted, you know. So that's that's a that's a beautiful thing. And not and can't everybody can't everybody say that because then everybody win a college championship, but then everybody win the NBA championship either, because I never won one. I never got an opportunity to win one, which I could have, but I did it. But I got a college one. So um it's it's just something that you always remember, man. Just being in that green room together. You know, get, hearing our names called and going in the back and seeing each other and taking pictures and, you know, saying hugging each other and stuff like that, man. That's something nobody can ever take from us. And after a couple years in Charlotte, of course, Michael Jordan buys the team. What was it like playing for MJ? The pressure involved, you know, him on the bench, uh, sitting courtside, kind of yelling at the refs, maybe yelling at some players. I want you to walk me through all of that. Oh, uh, man, it's funny, man. It's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I met MJ and I've known MJ, you know, when I was in college. So, you know, just to, you know, be around him all the time because he's one of those guys. He, he used to come to practice. He would play against us. We'd play one-on-one and do little stuff like that when he was on, when he was the owner, when he became the owner and stuff like that. So, you know, he was always around and hands-on. And, you know, he never bit his tongue. You know, if you want if you want getting the job done and you he wasn't playing right, he was gonna let you know. Um, so you know, but that's MJ. You know, that's the GOAT, you know, and who was gonna who was gonna get mad at him for for what he was saying to you? You know, you kind of just listen to it and take it in a in a positive way and really try to go out there and play harder and try to do better, you know. So it was it was fun though. It was good to see him over there, it was good to be a part of it. It was good to see him become, you know, uh, minority minority owner, you know, of the of the Bobcats when I was there, who now are the Charlotte Hornets, you know, again. But um, it was uh, it was a beautiful thing, man. It was fun, and you know, I'm happy I had the chance to be, you know, right there and be a part of it. On episode 12 of Inside Buzz, I had uh, Eduardo Nahara on. Now he was a Bobcat, I think, a little after you, and he told the story of Michael Jordan beating MJ, who was like 49, 50 years old, beating a trash-talking Steven Jackson in a one-on-one. Now, I've seen those pictures of you playing MJ one-on-one in practice. What was that like, and what kind of trash was he talking to you and, and your teammates that day? He was talking trash to everybody. I mean, it was it was, it was was funny, man. It was fun. Well, it was fun, though. You know, it was, it was, it was good trash-talking, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, he... He he said what he wanted to say. We said what we wanted to say, and it was just getting out there, you know. And I think he still ended up beating us that day, to be honest. But I will say, I got me a bucket on MJ, though. I did get me a, I did get me a bucket on MJ, but you know, he got plenty of them on me, though. And, and I think he ended up beating us that, you know. I'm gonna just take my one little bucket and go with it. <laughs> Listen, that's an all-time story. You'll be telling your kids forever, I'm sure. Um, I mean, you saw it when he was like 50, the buckets he was getting. What does prime Michael Jordan put up numbers-wise in this current NBA landscape of, you know, a spread-out court, three-point shooting, and, you know, you kind of drive and you're automatically getting to the free-throw line? What you got to understand is, and I, and, I, and I talk to people about this all the time, they're like, oh, LeBron is the GOAT, LeBron better than MJ. It's not about 
MJ being a better LeBron, LeBron being better than MJ. You know, a lot of people don't understand. I like with, with me, Kobe's in that conversation too. You know, with the things he's done and, you know, what he's done for the game of basketball, you know, and LeBron too. Like, you know, those three guys are iconic. They, they've done some iconic things and they've done a lot for the game of basketball. So I'm not, I take nothing from neither, neither, neither one of them. But for me as a kid and then growing up, MJ is my GOAT. You know, MJ is my GOAT. And then the time and the era that MJ played, if MJ was playing right now, MJ would probably average 60. He would average 60 a game. He just a, he was a scorer. He was just a bona fide scorer. You couldn't do nothing with him. You know what I'm saying? So if he was playing now where you can't be touched and you can barely touch somebody now, if you elbow somebody now, you get injected. Like I watch, you know, I do, I do, um, I do sports analyst stuff with um, Valley Sports. So I did a Pelicans game the other day, Pelicans versus um, Washington, and and um, JV Valachunas, he um got the ball in the post. He made a simple post move and threw his elbow a little bit, which is a normal post move. And um, Ty's Gibson was just a little low in the post trying to guard him. So his head was lower than normally what it would be. And he just made an accident and elbowed a guy across his head because he was just making a post move, not knowing how low his positioning was. And he gets ejected from the game. Wasn't intentional. Yeah. And they ejected. That's how soft the game is now. You get ejected now for a simple mistake and a blow. And it's just, it's, I don't know, man. It's just MJ would have just averaged 60. He would have averaged 60. He played when elbows was like, there was a common foul. He was getting knocked out the air. They was punching him in his face when he was going to the basket. I mean, it was just crazy stuff like that going on. It was the physicality was so different back then that how can we sit here and say that this person is the GOAT, that person is the GOAT, this person is better. It's two different eras. I see it as MJ evolving into, you know, a pretty decent three-point shooter because any anything MJ lacked, he always kind of capitalized on in the offseason and got better at it. Everybody's shooting threes. You you don't think MJ would be, you know, practicing that all summer long? MJ would have been a, a 45% <laughs> three-point shooter plus because he was just, like you said, he was that type of player. Whatever he was he, – whatever he lacked at, he was going to kill himself in the gym in the summertime, getting ready and coming back that next year to make sure he was better at it. That's just who he was. So, yeah, to say that he couldn't shoot threes, you're crazy. Because exactly. he would have figured, it, he would have figured it out. <laughs> and right, I'm a New Yorker. I got, I got to admit, man, your your New York Knicks teams I grew up on with you at the one, Mello, Amari Stoudemire. Those are great memories for me as a kid. I always say that New York City is rocking and the best it could be when the Knicks are good. You agree with that? I totally agree. Totally agree. It was some fun times for me, man. It was, it was, uh, it was probably some of the best times of my career in the NBA. Being in New York during that time and winning, because when you win in New York, it's, it's, it's nothing like it. It's nothing like it. So you know, we was and we was running, winning at a very high level. You know, we was one of the, we was one of the top teams, one of the most talked about teams in the NBA during that time. You know, when I was in New York, so um, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. A career high seventeen points per game and nine assists per game in fifty four games for that first year in New York. Then you traded to Denver in the Carmelo Anthony deal. Were you bummed out after kind of getting your feet set, playing your best basketball in New York, and then you get back two years later? Go through all of that for me. 
it was surprising and it was upsetting a little bit because I wasn't even supposed to be in the trade. Um, and I think for what I heard, George Carl, George Carl put me into the trade the last the last minute. He said that he he wanted me, and um, that's the only way they was gonna do the deal with Carmelo. And that's what happens. At least that's what I heard, and that's what happened. So it was just like, well, dang, you know, you know, it's it sucked. I ended up coming back, but uh, it still sucked at that moment because, like you said, I was playing my best basketball and. You know, we was we was good. We was rocking. We still was like a top top five, top six team in uh, in the in the East during that time. You know, obviously adding you know adding Carmelo would have been you know ooh, that would have been a whole lot more. We probably did some very special things with all the young guys that we had. We had some young good guys: Gallo, Wilson Chandler, you know, Landry Fields, Timothy Moscow. Like we had some. We had some very talented guys at that time to to do some special things, but you know, when you get somebody at that talent, you got to give up a lot of stuff. So everything was was taken away. It was all good, you know. Me and Amari talk about it sometimes, you know, like you know, Melo was gonna come anyway. You know, we felt like that next year. You know, we knew he was coming, but you know, it was still nerve wracking for the people in the front office because they're like, oh, we don't know. We can't mess up on this opportunity. We got to move on it now. So, you know, be, being older now, being older uh, later on, like me understanding the business side of it, I get it. You know, you don't want to lose a caliber guy like Melo. So you try to jump on that opportunity when it was when it was presented. So, you know, the Knicks did that, and that's what happened. So gotta, you got to deal with it. Well, it's all a business, like you were saying. And, you know, you do get back a couple years later, 2012, 2013. That squad was crazy, crazy deep. Yourself, Melo, Amari, Tyson Chandler dropping 20 rebounds like it's nothing. Jason Kidd, Steve Novak, JR, Shumpert, Rashid. I mean, the list goes on and on. You guys finished 54 and 28 that year, number two behind Miami. You guys take out Boston and then that series against Indiana. What happened? Was it a, was it a bad matchup? I wonder that it was a bad matchup. It was just we couldn't get no wins in their building, you know, you know, and um, we had a lot of injuries at that time too. You know, Melo's shoulder was messed up. Jr. back, um, so guys wasn't a hundred percent from from that Boston series from just the season that we had. Guys being banged up. JK wasn't a hundred percent. So you you going against team that's really good, really good defensively. They was very physical defensively, you know. And um when you're going against a team like that, it's kind of it's, it's it's hard when guys are not 100 percent guys are not healthy. So it was tough, man. And it, and it was a tough matchup. You know, we kind of we play small with Melo at the four, which was uh which would work for us all year. But then you're playing in a seven game series against, you know, Indiana Pacers and they got uh, what's what's big boy named seven footer? Hibbert. Yeah, big Hibbert, and then you got David West, you know, who was a uh, abusing six nine, strong, you know, just just a, a a big body down there that was that could score, rebound, could do a lot of stuff. So you know, that was a they had a they had a physical team, man, and kind of beat us up a little bit. In that first game, they was able to steal it, and we just come bounce back from that because. They won at home, we won at home, they won at home, we won at home. And that last game, that game six, you know, we couldn't get that win. We was close. Couldn't get that win to come back to the garden 
to beat them because I feel like, and you know, some other people may be like, oh yeah, or whatever, but I feel like we probably had the best chance to beat Miami that year because we beat them three games out of four that season. You yep. know what I'm saying? We we was three and one with them during the season. You know, they they didn't want to see us. I didn't. I believe that they didn't want to see our our team. But you know, can't can't speak on that. That didn't happen. So. <laughs> That squad was just too deep. The, it, the difference with Miami would have been the bench scoring, for sure, because the Knicks, I mean, that second unit was incredible. Um, yeah. Carmelo Anthony today, not in the NBA. Does he deserve to be? No question. I think he still can help somebody. You know, he, he's still a guy that can score the ball, put that ball in the basket. You always need a guy that can that can hit big shots, that's not afraid to hit big shots, and, you know, and just can play. He can play the game. So I think he can definitely help. So one of these playoff teams, hopefully he'll get picked up here in the second half of the season. You know, once trades and stuff start happening, you know, hopefully somebody pick him up going into the second half of the season, going into the playoffs. So because he definitely can help someone for sure. So your career, 2005 to 2019, you played against some great point guards in that time. Uh, you know, you got some of the guys from the 90s who are on their way out. And then, of course, some of the crazy talented NBA point guards now. Who are your top three point guards? That was the toughest to guard in your career. Man, that's hard to give a top three. That's really tough, you know, because I came in the league. It was still some some older guys in the game, like like not say older, but just guys like Chauncey Billups, Steve Nash, Andre Miller was tough. Sam Cassell was tough. When you talking about guys like that, man, Allen Iverson. <laughs> I mean, guys like that was still playing, man. Tony Parker. Um, even even playing against Jay Kidd, you know, before we became teammates. I mean, so I I ain't even getting to the guys who who my age and younger, you know, I could just stop right there, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, any given night was tough, man. People can talk about all these other positions, but the point guard position, <laughs> you had to bring it. I was reliving some of your glory days, my young fandom glory days last night. I was watching Jason Kidd highlights when he was on the Knicks at 39. I forgot how good he was on that team. And he all of a sudden became a three-point shooter. What did you What did you learn from Jay Kidd in those years? Jay Kidd was one of those guys where he would see stuff on the court and he would tell me. And, like, and I would just execute it and I'd be like, wow, how did you see that? Like, And then he will explain to me what he was reading, what he was looking at. So he taught me a lot. And he and the guy that I looked up to 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 come in and say, look, you the point guard. I'm gonna play the two. That was so man, that that gave me so much confidence, gave me so much like, like dang, like Jason Kidd believe in me. Like, you know what I'm saying? So that gave me the utmost confidence like that. So, you know, he would help me out a lot, man. He would be in practice. He would he would you know, help me with reads and stuff off pick and rolls and reads off you know, the offense we was running. So for me, man, it was it was one of the most amazing years that that I've had in my career. Just being with a guy like that to to really teach me and walk me through a lot of stuff, and a guy that I really looked up to and admired as a point guard, as a player. So you know, it was it was it was fun. It was fun, man. And just see some of the stuff he was doing. As as he got older, shooting those threes like that, man, that was that was that was amazing too. <laughs> and he was never a three point shooter, so that that's what makes it the funny funniest part with this headband. What a what a great time! What a great time! 
And transitioning for, to your later NBA years, uh, when you were on the Clippers, now that's another really deep squad. You weren't there for long, but it was Chris right. Paul's last season, pretty much the last season of that whole era of Clippers basketball. Did you know that they were going to get broken up? And why couldn't that team with that legendary talent win a championship? Too many injuries. Too many injuries. CP got hurt that year for a few games, for no, about 15, 20 games. Blake got hurt for about 20-some games. Everybody just got hurt. Austin got hurt for a little bit. I had a shoulder injury, you know, for a little bit, but I kind of just played through it. I mean, just different guys was just getting hurt throughout the season. We could never be fully healthy all year. And when we was healthy at the start of the season, you know, we was like, I think might have been number one in the West for a little bit, you know, at the start of that year. You know what I'm saying? That's how good we were because we, like you said, we had a deep, we had a deep bench. You know, you had coming off the bench, you had me, Austin, and um, and Jamal. <laughs> so Crazy. he was, yeah, yeah, we was we was stacked. We was really yeah. good. You know, me, Austin, Jamal, you had most states. You had um, yeah, Pete on um, Paul Pierce was there too. Austin Rivers, Jamal, it was Jamal Crawford, me. Um, we had Ella Anderson coming off the bench. Um, Brandon Bass. So you know, we had a we we had a squad. <laughs> that was that was a tough team. That was a tough team. And how about those years in OKC? I mean, you played there two years. Two years, Russell Westbrook averages a triple-double. Oh, man, it was fun. It was fun. Just to see the passion that this guy plays with every single night, you know, it's just amazing. And I just hate that, you know, these last few years he's been getting, you know, a raw raw, a raw end of the stick, and it's not, it's not fair because when he was in OKC, everybody loved him. Now, all of a sudden, he gets put in a situation where he got to go play for a different team, put in different roles and put in different situations. And it's like he's not playing that well. But if you look at his numbers, like this guy's numbers is still amazing. What are y'all talking about? Yeah, he may not be putting on triple-doubles. His numbers is amazing. So what are we, what are we saying here? But that's just the predicts. People going to find something to talk about. They're going to find something to say. You know, he's still a great player, still a Hall of Famer. Um, basketball player, point guard, still one of the best point guards to me in this league. So, you know, they can say whatever they want, but Russell Westbrook is a dog. He's a teammate I would love to play with at any time, and I have nothing but fun with him and fun playing with him, you know what I'm saying, in OKC. You know, people, like you said, like to judge the player, the stats and all that. What about Russell Westbrook, the man, the teammate? What can you say about him on that front? A1, you know, we was... We always go get dinner, you know, hang out. You know, he was one of those guys who isolated himself from everybody. He hung out with guys. You know, we 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 had a good time. You know, we went and got dinner. You know, saying we played cards. You know, we you know saying we did stuff together, man. And then, you know, I think just people just assume stuff and don't really know who the person really is. Because he, if you ask anybody, and they tell you, no, Russ is a great dude. You know, the way he plays with attitude and all of that is nothing who he is off the court. <laughs> it's the funny thing. Just last week was the three-year anniversary of the passing of Kobe, Gianna Bryant, and seven others. Everybody has a Kobe story. What's yours, Raymond? Just, man, like, just just playing against him. You know, him always just giving advice and teaching. You know, he was always just a – for me, he was just a, a, a big brother figure. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
he wasn't somebody that I talked to all the time on a regular basis, but he was somebody that if I needed advice or if I saw him, you know, playing against him before a game, after a game, like, you know what I'm saying? Like he would always give advice if I had a question or if I wanted to say something to him, you know, he always talked junk. I had my moments where I was trying to guard him, you know, and he would just tell me what he was about to do and I still couldn't do nothing with it. <laughs> he was one of those guys, but um, definitely, man, somebody that, you know, we hate to see that that's gone. You know, it it, it hurt me to to even hear that when it happened. You know, to him and everybody else, including his daughter, who's going to be you know a special basketball player herself. Um, but um, that whole situation, man, still still hurts me to this day. You know, and he's definitely going to be missed because he's one of those guys who's going to do something even more for the bass for the game of basketball. Even after he was retired, he was gonna he was gonna do greatness. So to see him gone, man, he's definitely missed. He's missed for these young guys because I think some of these young guys are not being taught the right way of how to work, how to be professional, and just how to go about you know just working on their game. And he was just that that person who who just set the bar, who set the standard of how you're supposed to grind, how you're supposed to work if you want to be great. So to see him gone, man, it's, 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 it's hurtful. And, you know, we all we all miss him for sure. Here you are at 38. You know, you got your skills academy. You got your AAU team. If an NBA team came calling, would you go? Go for coaching? Go for playing. Uh, playing. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, them days is gone. <laughs> No days is gone. The 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 stuff that I would have to do to get myself in shape to do that, it it it'll crumble my body at this point. <laughs> you know what? And and that leads me to the next question. What about as a coach? If an NBA team came calling, um, I love that actually because I I love to teach. I want to be around the game. Um, it's 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 a goal of mine at some point. That's why I'm starting here to to coach and get better at it and just. Um, continue to grind and see what happens in the future. I would definitely love to be a coach one day, sure. And what's your favorite NBA moment as a player that really sticks out to you from your career? I mean, I, I, I have I have quite a few, but my favorite NBA moment was the, the start of it, man, the beginning of it, just walking across that stage and getting drafted and understanding that, you know, this day, this day right here, like it's the day that my life – has changed, you know, my family life has changed. And, you know, it was just a, a true blessing to see, you know, true honor and 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 it's all and just a big blessing from God to be able to walk across that stage and shake David Stern's hand and, you know, knowing that, you know, my whole entire life is about to change and so is my family. You know, being able to do that was the biggest part of my basketball career. So you being a longtime Nick, the current Knicks, I want to get your thoughts on them. I think they're good. I think if they continue to play the way they've been playing going into going into the All Star break, like right now, um, they um, they could they could be really good. I like I like I like Jalen. Jalen Jalen was good here in Dallas, you know, you know when he was here. So I, I always was um, a fan of his game, the way he plays as a point guard, you know, and a point guard who can score the ball. And um, he's um, he's doing a great job with that team. You know, Julius Randle is a is a is a dog. I like him the way he brings to the game. You know, they got a lot of good players over there, man. A lot of good guys that I like. I like Obi Toppin. You know, I think he's he's a good player. I think he's going to be really good 
in this league, you know, one day. You know, I think he should get more minutes. But um, um, I think this team got a got a they got a chance, man, to do some do some damage this year if they stay healthy and if they continue to play the play the game the way they've been playing here lately. Um, I think they they got a good chance. But we all know that you know we've seen them early in this season where they have those moments, they have those down moments too when they look when they look a certain way as well. But if they play the way they're playing now, they got a great shot, and it's been it's been fun to watch. And you came into the league in 2005. Uh, like like I mentioned before, you saw some players from the 90s. Then you go into the 2010s, the late 2010s, a whole new crop of players, a whole new NBA style of play with the three-point ball. Um, what are your current thoughts about how the NBA is today? It's almost like, I'm going to one-up you in scoring without playing too much defense, and I'm just going to beat you from the three-point line. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on it sometimes, I really don't watch a lot of basketball until the playoff time because that's when people are actually trying to get stops. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So now it's just a lot of scoring. You know, like you say, I'm trying to outscore you. You know, I ain't going to really play, put too much effort into defense. You got some teams who still try to play defense. You know what I'm saying? And, and if you look at that, some of the, those are the most, those are the teams that are successful. You know, <laughs> uh, but um, for the most part, like you say, they, everybody's just trying to put up numbers. Um, but um, playoff time is when I really lock in. I really watch because that's when it gets serious. That's when everybody trying to play defense, offense. They trying to they trying to get wins. They because they playing for something. So you know, I, I uh, well, really the second half of the season too. Everybody kind of trying to lock in because they trying to either move up in the race in playoffs or they trying to get into the playing games and. All of that. So, you know, after All-Star break, everything kind of – the, the game kind of gets better, you know, should I say. So, I kind of lock in after that After that point. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, covering the NBA for 11, 12 years now, it's – that's spot on. And lastly, Raymond, what's next for Felton Elite and Felton Skills Academy? Oh, really, man, I just um, – I'm doing more developmental stuff with my Felton Elite stuff. Um, I just partner – Partner up with Pro Skills Basketball, which is a, a Nike EY, or EYBL team. I'm um, going to be doing more with them as far as coaching and traveling with that team and then doing more local developmental stuff with Felton Elite. Get some kids that, you know, maybe it's not quite ready for travel ball yet to go out and go play travel ball, just stay local and just kind of work with those kids and develop them and try to get them better. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mikey Domagala, that was Raymond Felton, and that was episode 45 of Inside Buzz. I appreciate you coming on, Ray. Oh, man, thanks for having me on anytime. Everybody follow Raymond on Instagram at FeltonElite underscore, and also find his merch, video shoutouts, and training details on fanart.com. For more Inside Buzz episodes, be sure to subscribe. Uh, more reaction videos and more interviews coming soon.